Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Evidence Series, which is taught from the Book of Esther. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Take your Bible, if you would, this morning, and let's go to the Book of Esther. Esther in chapter number 6 this morning. Esther chapter 6, and... I'm honestly kind of, uh, kind of bummed about, about this message today. And you say, why? It's because it's our last one in this series. And I don't know about you, but the study of Esther, it's been exciting for me. Uh, I've been loving it. I love, I love the book. I love the story. And I really just love, uh, I, I love our title of, of course, the whole series has been uh, evidence, seeing God when you don't see God. And what a great, what a great book. Uh, a book where you don't see God at all. You don't see the name of God listed uh, in there, but you can see God on every page in the story of Esther. And uh, today we're going to come, we're going to wrap everything up. Uh, but I want to start by asking this morning, how many of you, you enjoy reading books or you enjoy uh, watching, watching movies? You enjoy reading books or watching movies? All right. So just about everybody maybe has one of those things. If, if you enjoy reading or you enjoy watching a movie, then you've probably heard of what they call a plot twist a plot twist. A plot twist is where maybe you're, you're reading in a book and as you're reading it, uh, you know, you come and you flip the, you're, it's a, maybe an intense spot and you flip the page and then all of a sudden, you know, the main character dies. Or maybe you're watching a movie and as you're watching a movie, I remember a plot, I'll tell you a plot twist from when Dennis was a, a little guy. He was probably about two years old and uh, this little cartoon movie came out called Astro Boy. And the movie was Astro Boy. And Dennis, uh, he really, you know, two or three years old, he really wanted to watch Astro Boy. And so I sat down with him and we were there in, in our, the back living room there and we had maybe popcorn and some snacks and we were gonna watch Astro Boy. We're watching this kid, this is a kid's movie. We're watching Astro Boy. And as we're watching this, it comes to a scene where the dad, the main character and his son are doing a little experiment in a, in a, um, a laboratory. laboratory. And as they're there in the lab, something happens, an explosion takes place, and the boy, is di- the boy dies. It's a cartoon. I'm like, <laughs> I did not see that coming. How in the, you know, and I remember thinking, and I remember Dennis there, and of course, both Dennis's. We were there with tears in our eyes. The main character is dead. I did not see this happening. It's a, it's a plot twist when you go, wow, I didn't see that one coming. If you're a sports fan, the play is called the game changer, the game changing play. It, it, may be, it might be in football when something happens and that one play changed the entire course of the game. Or in basketball, there's one steal or one rebound or one shot that changed the game. Or in baseball, it's one out or one home run or one single or something that changed the course of the game. As you and I come today to Esther chapter number six and then chapter seven through 10, we're gonna find what I'm calling game changers or some plot twists, because there's some things that if you were a character in this story, you would go, huh, didn't see that coming, especially a man by the name of Haman. Haman's life today has a plot twist that takes place. We're going to start this morning in Esther chapter number six, and so I want you, if you would, stand with me, Esther chapter six, and we're going to read just two verses in Esther 
chapter 6 and then chapter 7. And of course, we're going through our series. We've met King Ahasuerus. He's the ruler over 127 provinces. And we can see that, the kind of the known world at that time. But take your Bible, if you would, and look at Esther chapter 6 and verse number 14. Esther 6, verse number 14. This is, and while they were yet talking with him, the they would be Haman's family, his wife Zeresh and, and the children. They're there talking. While they were talking with him, uh, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. Now go to chapter 7 and verse 1. So the king and Haman came to banquet with Queen Esther. All right, so here's the story, where we're at. Haman is talking to his wife, Zeresh, and they're having this conversation. I'll tell you what the conversation is here in just a moment. And as they're talking, there's a knock on the door. They open the door, and there's the servant, the king's servants. Hey, Haman, you're expected at the second banquet with Esther. And so he goes, and chapter 7, verse 1, he goes, and he sits down to banquet with the king and with Esther. At this point in Haman's life, Esther's life, Ahasuerus's life, and Mordecai's life, everything has just kind of been going along. But from Esther chapter seven, verse two, all the way to chapter 10 and verse three, we're gonna see just a bunch of plot twists. And this morning, we're gonna learn what those are and then learn how they apply to our life. And I think if we'll tune into the Lord and his spirit today, I think there's some great helpful tools for us as we go through life this week. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into his word this morning with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Why don't you take just a moment, and in the quietness of your heart, would you ask God to speak to you? Ask him to speak to your heart this morning. And then would you make a commitment that as God speaks to you, that you're listening to him and that you want to respond to him today. Lord, thank you again for the day. We thank you for the time of worship and song this morning and giving. And now, Lord, we come to uh, our time in the word of God. And Lord, I know that sometimes we can come to this preaching time and uh, maybe look at it and say, well, I've heard the story before or, well, I've sat through messages before and Lord, I pray that today would be a day that we stop and tune into your spirit. Lord, that you'd help each of us to hear from you. And God, that you'd give us the message that our hearts need on that individual basis. And Lord, again, I pray that if there's someone here, they don't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity. I pray that you'd help them today to come to know you as their personal savior. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> I will not uh, take too much time this morning to review, but we just need to remember 127 provinces. And what we've learned so far is that King Ahasuerus was a very proud man. We saw that in chapter one, where he threw that party for 180 days and then another party for seven days. At the end of the seven days, he asks his wife, Queen Vashti, to come in and to model before the princes and really made a foolish decision with his uh, being so drunk in that state that he was in that he asks her of that, and she says, no, I, I'm not going to come. Well, there was a certain counselor. You'll remember his name was Mamukin, and he comes, and he says, King, if, if Vashti is going to tell you no, all of our wives are going to tell us no, you need to do something. And so 
The end of chapter one tells us that King Ahasuerus kicks Vashti out of being queen. Chapter two, we come and the Bible says that when his wrath was appeased, he remembered what Vashti did and remembered what he had done unto her. He regretted it. He looked back. Now he was sober and he looked back and said, man, I can't believe I treated my wife that way. And he began to realize how lonely life was without Queen Vashti. Well, the princes, they too realized this. They realized, you know what, since he's not married anymore, we're, we need to find the king, a new, a, new prin, a new queen. We need to take care of this. And so they send out a decree. The decree is that any young virgins are gonna come and, and go in before the king and be with the, queen, the king, and, and he's going to pick from them a new queen. Well, in chapter two, in verse number six, the knock happens at one door. That door is of the house of a man by the name of Mordecai. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Jew. He's a man of God. He's one who loves the Lord. And that knock comes and the question comes. Of course, Mordecai opens the door and the king's guard is there. And the king's guard says, excuse me, do you have any uh, young virgins in the house? Well, yes, I have one. It's actually my cousin that I'm raising as my adopted daughter. Well, what's her name? Her name is Hadassah or Esther. And the king's guard says, well, we're going to take her. And by force, they take Esther and she is now entered into this beauty pageant to maybe become the next queen. Well, in chapter two, you read the story and all of the events, what takes place and the year long waiting period that these girls had to go through. And at the end of that year, it came Esther's turn. Esther chapter two, I believe in verse number 15, where it's Esther's turn to go before the king and all of the other girls, they were requesting certain dresses and certain foods and maybe a certain hairstyle or taking in the king's favorite book or whatever it might be. They're trying to go, maybe one of them was like, I want some McDonald's French fries. I know he likes that. So let's take that and they're all requesting all of these things to go before the king and it comes Esther's turn and the Bible says that she required nothing. That shows us a little bit about Esther's character, about her humility. The Bible tells us that Esther immediately within the next day, she's made queen. She's made queen. Ahasuerus almost one look and he knew this is the one. So Esther becomes queen and you continue reading about some things that take place. Mordecai, he, Esther's cousin, he's made keeper of the king's gate. And you'll remember at the end of Esther chapter number two, there was two characters by the name of Big Than and Teresh that they had plotted to kill the king. And Mordecai, he found out about it, let Esther know. And it was, uh, inquisition was made and it was found out, Big Than and Teresh trying to kill the king. And pretty soon they're hanging and, and they're dead and, and the king's life is saved. Well, you enter chapter number three and we meet another character, a new character. His name is Haman. Haman receives a promotion. We don't know much about Haman before his promotion, but we do know what took place at the promotion. He's made the prime minister, the prime minister of the entire media Persian empire. So it would be the king and Esther and then next in office would be Haman. Well, what the Bible tells us in Esther chapter number three is that with that office came the idea that everybody was supposed to bow in reverence and worship of Haman. Well, there's a problem with that. The problem is that Mordecai, he serves the one true God. 
The problem is that Mordecai, he knows that I am not to bow in worship to anybody or anything. That is idolatry, and Mordecai understood that. And I'm so thankful for the character of Mordecai, because what does Mordecai do? Well, uh, Esther chapter 3, verses uh, maybe, I think, 2 through 5, records for us that as Haman would walk into a room, that Mordecai would just stand. And the first time, maybe Haman thought, well, he... You know, he didn't get the memo. Maybe his email's not working well. Maybe he missed it on the, on the king's email. He's the gatekeeper. He, he missed that. He missed the memo. Oh, you know what? They might have not, they, they didn't post this on the bulletin board in the break room. Mordecai didn't get it yet. Well, the next day, Mordecai still stands, not bowing. People begin to ask Mordecai, why, why aren't you bowing? And Mordecai just uses the answer, well, it's because I'm a Jew. It's because I'm a Jew. Well, wait, what does that mean? Well, with that answer, Mordecai was claiming Jehovah God. Mordecai was claiming worship of Jehovah God. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, always attached, and most of the time in scripture, attached with godly character and godly people who take stands. And Esther 2.6, he was a Benjamite. And not only was he a Benjamite, but the Bible tells us that he's claiming, saying, hey, I'm a Jew. I will not bow because I worship God and God alone. Well, that infuriates Haman. And you remember the decree he sends out. He goes to the king, King Ahasuerus. He says, king, there's a people here that they're a, they're a pest in our kingdom. Uh, a king, they're, they're like termites in our kingdom. They're like lice in our kingdom. They're just, they're just a pest. They're of no use. And king, I am taking personal responsibility. King, I love our kingdom so much and I love you so much that I've seen these people for who they really are. And Mr. King, if it's okay with you, I will pay. I will pay into the king's treasury for all of this people group to be exterminated. King, a, they need to be annihilated. They are a huge threat to you and to our kingdom. Well, Ahasuerus, he's not the wisest man that you read about in scripture. And actually he's very far from it. He says, yeah, take my ring, take my signet. Yeah, do what you want. And so the decree goes out that all the Jews are going to be put to death. They're all going to be put to death on the 13th of March. This was April. So the Jews now have 11 months to live. As you go and you read the scripture, you find in Esther, and I believe it's chapter, um, let me look at this so I don't mess it all up. Esther chapter number four. You look at chapter four, it says that word got out. Now, the decree had gone out to all 127 provinces that all of the Jews on the 13th of March are going to be put to death. Mordecai gets word of it. Mordecai puts, off, puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes outside of the king's gate because you don't go into the king's gate uh, in sackcloth and ashes. This shows us how much Mordecai did respect authority but wasn't going to worship authority. And uh, so Mordecai is outside of the king's gate sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And Esther gets word of it. Remember Esther, the cousin who's now the queen, Hadassah, she sends word to Mordecai. Hey, Mordecai, uh, it's okay. Whatever you're going through, just get up and and cheer up. Here's a change of clothes. And she tries to be a big encouragement into Mordecai's life. And, and Mordecai, he says, well, hasn't she heard? And uh, Harbona, the, the servant, I believe, or Hatach, one of the two, uh, maybe it's Hatach, comes back and, and says to Esther, well, Mordecai has a message for you. Uh, haven't you heard? She says, heard what? 
I'll, I'll go find out. And the message comes back eventually to Esther that Haman has put a hit out on all of the Jews. And Esther, you may be queen, but this will, you will not be saved. And Mordecai sends encouragement back to Esther. Esther, listen, you need to go before the king. Request the life of your people. Esther sends word back to Mordecai. I can't do that. I haven't been called before the king in a month, these 30 days. And if I'm not called before the king and I enter into the king's presence and his scepter's not sent out to me, I'm gonna be put to death. And the famous passage of Esther chapter number four and verse number 16 comes when Esther, Mordecai uh, sends word to Esther and she hears back. Mordecai says, Esther, think not that this is going to pass over you. Think not that you and your house will be saved. But Esther, here's what you need to do. You need to think that maybe, maybe the whole reason that we've gone through everything, maybe the whole reason that your parents died and I raised you and the whole reason that that knock came and I, I cried that day when they took you and maybe the whole reason that I was uh, there for Big Than and Teresh and, and found that out, maybe the whole reason of all of this and you becoming selected queen, maybe the reason is because you were born for such a time as this. Esther, God has purpose with you. And Esther, maybe the purpose is that you would stand up and have character and courage, character to stand up and courage to speak out. Esther sends back word and says, all right, Mordecai, gather up all the Jews, pray and fast three days, and then I'm gonna go before the king. Esther chapter number five, or Esther chapter number six, excuse me, that day comes. She goes before the king. She goes before the king and the king holds out the scepter to her and the question is asked, Esther, what do you want up to half of the kingdom? And we talked a little bit about this last week that, man, if it was me or you, we'd say, well, I wanna save my people, but I'll take half the kingdom too. You just go ahead and throw that in, that's fine. I'll take the southern half, they're a little bit nicer down there. He says, up to half of the kingdom, what do you want? She says, well, my question would be that you and Haman would join me for a banquet. And last week we were with Haman and Ahasuerus as they go and they go to banquet with the queen. And at dinner they sit down and the king says to Esther, all right, this is chapter five, Esther, what, what do you want? And she says, I, I have one, one more request. Would the king and Haman join me tomorrow for a dinner? King says, all right, yeah, we can do that. Well, they leave. Haman, we saw him last week, and Haman's arrogantly walking home, and he's boastful and proud. His head's big, and he's thinking, man, I'm the coolest thing since sliced bread. I don't even know if they had sliced bread, but he was the coolest thing since it. And he comes over, and he's arrogantly walking, and who does he walk past? Mordecai. And what's Mordecai doing? Standing, not bowing. And the Bible tells us that all of that joy is immediately gone, all that happiness is immediately gone and turned into bitterness and frustration and, and jealousy and rage. And now he goes home and all walks in and you know, moms, you know, you know when your husband comes home and he, he comes in and you know, you, you know the day's good when the door closes like this, right? You know it's good. That's not how Haman came in. He comes in just irked. It's my mom's word. 
Oh, that just irks me. He comes in irked. He sits his family down. Even in the midst of being irked, he's still proud of the fact that he was invited over to the queen's house. And so he sits his family down, all 10 sons and his wife and his servants. And the Bible says that he even calls his friends and they all come, maybe 20 or 30 people. And he says, I've called you all here today for a family meeting. In this family meeting, I want to discuss two things. Number one, my greatness. Aren't I a great guy? And Esther, uh, the chapter five and six record for us that he goes, my riches are great. Boy, I'm so wealthy. Have you guys seen my houses and lands? And he begins to talk about the greatness of his riches. Then he begins to talk about the greatness of his kids. Then he begins to talk about the greatness of his office as prime minister. And then he's like, now get this, even better than all of that. I was invited to Esther's house for dinner. Only me and the king. Oh no, hold your applause, hold your applause. I, no, 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 I'm, son, I'm not signing any autographs right now. And in arrogance, he's just boasting of this. I can imagine Zeresh saying, well, then why are you irked? Oh, that's the second thing. I want to tell you about my greatness, but number two, I want to tell you, I hate Mordecai. I will not be happy while Mordecai lives. I will, not, I will not be happy while Mordecai is still alive. And the family, the great influence they are, they say, oh, that's fine. Build a 75-foot gallow, remember? Put it next to the lawn gnome. It'll be in the garden. It'll be fine. Put it out there and just hang Mordecai. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that, yeah that'll, that'll work. That'll work. So they build the gallows, and then... Haman goes to the king's court to ask permission to hang Mordecai. Meanwhile, what was taking place in the king's life? He tried to go to bed. Esther chapter six. He goes to sleep, lays down, and he wakes up at like 11.30, 12 o'clock. Oh, wakes up, looks at the clock. And he lays there looking at their sundial. I don't know, it was a little dark. Look at the sundial, and, and he begins just to watch the shadow tick away. And he realizes it's 12.05. It's 12.10. 12.15. How many of you have done that? You've just laid and watched the... Sh you haven't watched the sundial tick away. You watched the clock tick away. Just lay there and watch it. Here's the king watching that clock tick away, and he thought, I am never going to get to sleep. What do I do to get to sleep? Let's read history. It'll put me to sleep. Puts me to sleep faster than pastor's preaching. It'll put me to sleep. So he calls and the historians come and they read the history books and they're reading his schedule, his life. And oh, he begins to maybe nod off a little bit and they're reading. And well, there was a day that big Than and Teresh plotted to kill King Ahasuerus. And I can see the servant reading, maybe lowering his voice. He's like, oh, he's going to sleep. And so that that plot was seen, and Mordecai the Jew was the one that got it. And all of a sudden, what, what, what'd you just read? Oh, oh, sorry, sir. Well, there was a day, the big thing, and he reads the events that we read in Esther chapter number two, and he says, hey, what's been done to reward them? What's been done to reward this Mordecai the Jew? Big thing and Teresh, they're gone and dead. Mordecai the Jew saved my life. What's, ha what's happened to him? Oh, uh, uh, they're flipping the page. Uh, no, nothing, sir. I don't know. He says, well, what should we do? Well, I don't know. King says, well, who's in the courtyard? Who was in the courtyard? Haman. Haman was in the courtyard. Haman's there. 
And so they go, uh, Haman, the king wants you. He comes in. Yes, sir. I knew you'd want me and my greatness. What can I do for you, Mr. King? The king says, Haman, you are just the man I wanted to see. What should the king do to someone he wants to honor? And if you were here last week, you remember. What'd he do? Haman was like, <laughs> who else would the king want to honor except for me? Well, king, I would have to think about that for quite a while. I've got it. You should put your royal robe on them, your royal crown, put them on your royal horse, Oh, and then have, your, have, have the highest prince walk them around the kingdom and say, this is what the king wants to do to those, this is what the king does to those he wants to honor. And King Ahasuerus, he's like, that's amazing. That's a great idea. Haman, I want you to go do that to Mordecai. <laughs> I can see Haman like, you know, he was like a husband not hearing. So he only heard half the sentence. Haman, I want you to go do that. Haman's like, yeah, go do that. Hey, John, you're going to do that. Oh, to what? What'd you just say? Oh, you're, you want me to, um, are there two Mordecais? And sure enough, we read, Haman does that. Esther 6, 14, where we start today. Haman comes in in verse 13. He's irked again. And the family, they're such an encouragement. Haman's family, I'm serious, they're, they're amazing. Zeresh, and if you wanna get young men, look for a wife named Zeresh. I'm kidding, don't. Because here's her spirit. Haman comes in, irked again, and they say, oh yeah, we always knew. We always knew that you were gonna fall to, to Mordecai. <laughs> he has just heard that when we read our text for the day. The knock at the door. So now, we go to Esther chapter number seven. And this is where we, be, we find our, what we're calling our plot twists. I want you to take your Bible and notice a few thoughts with me today. First thing we see is we see a silence that becomes a brave response. We see a silence that becomes a brave response. If you were to go to chapter number seven, notice what the word of God says. It says, so the king... And Haman came to banquet with Esther, the queen. So now here they are, and if you can imagine, they come in, and, and I can imagine they're sitting down to dinner, and as they sit down to dinner, King Ahasuerus maybe says to Esther, Esther, how was your day? And she says, oh, it was, it was a pretty good day, and, you know, I just uh, met, with some, met with some of the servants, and we walked in the garden, and King, how was your day? And I can imagine King Ahasuerus, he's like, oh, it was great. And Haman's sitting right there, all three of them. It was a great day. Esther, you'll never guess what happened. And then King Ahasuerus begins to recount to Esther what took place. And uh, Esther, there was, did you know that someone saved my life a few months ago? His name was Mordecai. And I never honored him. I can see Esther sitting as the wife. And she says, I had told you to do that. You, you wrote it down on your to-do list. No, you didn't tell me that. Honey, yes, I did. I told you to make sure you honored that guy who saved your life. No, you didn't. Anyway, anyway, whatever, Esther. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't honor him. But here, we honored him now. And you know what? Haman got to do it. Haman, why don't you tell us about that? 
You say, Pastor, I'm not reading any of that in there. Listen, you know some conversation had to take place at dinner. Usually the question is, how was your day? And I don't think Mordecai, or I don't think Ahasuerus is leaving this detail out. Haman, why don't you tell us about that? Haman goes, <clears throat> put a robe and a crown on a guy, walked him around, said some things. It's pretty eventful. That awkward silence happens. The king goes, well, Okay, never mind. Esther, what do you want? What's your petition? What's your question? And I want you to notice what takes place. Esther chapter two, chapter seven, verse number two, we read this. And the king said again to Esther, on the second day at the banquet of the wine, what is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even unto half of the kingdom. And notice what Esther says, verse three. Then Esther, the queen answered and said, if I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, uh, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. Uh, for we are, we are, sorry, I'm skimming through this. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. You say, what is that? She's, the king says, Esther, what's your request? She says, king, I have one, one request. Let my life be spared because I and my people have been sold to be destroyed. If we had been sold to be slaves, I would have kept my mouth shut. Although that would have hurt this kingdom, I would have been silent. But king, we've been sold to be destroyed. Well, the king, now you got to remember, though we know the relationship between Mordecai and Esther and that they're Jews, the king does not know the relationship, nor does he know her people yet. Notice the king's response, verse 5. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? Is it all right? Who's trying to take you out? By now, I can imagine Haman. He's probably caught on a little bit. And I imagine Haman maybe sitting there at that dinner table, and perhaps by now he's pushed his chair back slowly, about two or three feet. And, and by now he's kind of sitting on the edge of his chair, kind of turning toward the door trying to creep out. It's like, it's like a child that you know is about to get in trouble and they're not sticking around. They're not sticking around, but they don't want mom and dad to notice them gone right away, Brother Craig, and so what do they do? They just slowly kind of get towards the door. This is Haman. I can see Haman with his hand on the doorknob and notice Esther's response. Esther chapter seven and verse number six. Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Haman there with his hand on the doorknob thinking, I should have left sooner. And you notice the Bible says, Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. Hey, king, it's Haman. He's the enemy. The Bible tells us in verse seven that the king is outraged and he kind of leaves the room. And as the king is gone, Haman begins to beg for his life. Now, if you know the culture at this time, as they would be at, 
at a dinner like this, uh, the Bible uses the word bed in verse number seven. We would probably use the word kind of like a lounge chair or a couch. And so Esther, she'd be kind of lounging down on this little chair, kind of this little, uh, um, uh, almost like a recliner, almost like an, an Ottoman type thing that she's lounging on. And the Bible says that Haman walks up and, and maybe I see him down on his knees right at the, right at the feet of that saying, Esther, the king's gonna come back in. Esther, please, please don't let him kill me. And, and in his uh, spirit of intensity, he kind of climbs up on the edge of that bed, on the edge of that couch, <laughs> Esther, and she's just right there and, and maybe right by her feet. And maybe he's grabbing her feet, like please grabbing her, the, the bottom of her robe. And he's like, please Esther. And the Bible says that he is begging for his life. And then the king walks back in. Notice what it says, Esther chapter seven, verse eight through 10. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine and Haman was fallen upon the bed, the couch whereon Esther was. And the king assumes the worst. And the king said, will he force the queen also before me in the house? Man, is he trying to push himself upon my wife? And I love verse 10, verse nine and 10. As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. The king says, what is he doing? And right then the guards are around him, masked over his head, the, the, the uh, uh, black cloth of death over his head. And here he is. And, and then one of the servants, Harbona, what a great name. If you don't like Esther for the story of Esther, like it for the names. Harbona, Zeresh, Big Than, Teresh, Mapukin, I mean Mamukin. Just so many great names. Harbona says, oh, hey, king. Um, I got word this morning that Haman actually built a 75-foot gallow in his garden. It's next to the lawn, mown, lawn gnome. You can't miss it. You should go hang him. They were going to hang Mordecai on that, but... And look what it says. Behold, also the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king. That standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him thereon. And verse 10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's wrath was pacified. Uh, can you say plot twist for Haman's life? Uh, can you say game changer? Yeah, why? Here's why. Because Esther's silence became a bold response. Esther didn't sit back in silence and watch these things happen and watch her life uh, go away before her. No, Esther had courage to respond in faith. We talked about her courage last week, but I want us to notice this morning the faith that Esther displays. You see, God gave Esther the faith to step toward this courage, and Esther, she had a faith that showed up in action. Her faith showed up in action. She said, you go back to Esther chapter two and verse 16 and, and then Esther chapter three. She says, if I perish, I perish. I will step out by faith and go before the king. I will step out by faith and my faith will become action. She believed that God had purpose with her in the moment that she was living and she took a step of faith to stand for God and for his people. And what was once silence in her life and no faith and no courage is now showing up as a great faith and a great courage by her brave response. 
Let me tell you this morning that God is still looking for children of faith. He's still looking for people who will say, I believe God. You see, he's still looking for us as his people to, in faith, follow his plan and his purposes for our life. And it's then and only then that he helps our silence become a brave response. Think about Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I want to tell you this morning that your faith steps might not, might not be uh, the faith step that Esther had to take. It might not be to go before the king. It might not be to request the life of a people group. Your faith step might be just to begin telling a coworker about Jesus. Your faith step might be to start tithing. Your faith step might be to start giving towards missions. Your faith step might be in the home, dad, to begin leading a Bible study in the home, begin doing devotions, family devotions with the kids. What is that? Listen, that's a game changer, my friend. When a Christian takes a step of faith, it's a game changer. And you can watch silence become a bold response. Maybe your faith needs to be, or your step of faith needs to be that you're gonna get off the sidelines at church and start getting involved. Maybe your faith step is to get baptized. You've trusted Jesus, but never followed the Lord in baptism. Maybe it's to become a part of the church. Maybe it's to continue growing and maybe take the step of faith and start discipleship. Maybe that's your step of faith. Whatever it is, listen, those steps, every step of faith in the Christian's life is a game changer. Every step of faith is a plot twist because God says, I can work with that. I can work with a faith step. We see this faith step in her life. It was a silence that became a bold response. But I want you to notice with, secondly with me this morning, we see that a sorrow becomes a big rejoicing. A sorrow becomes a big rejoicing. I don't have time to read all of the verses, but I want to encourage you today when you go home or this week, go read Esther 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, you'll understand them a lot more as we go through this right now. But if you were to go to Esther 8, verse 1, all the way to chapter 9 and verse number 19, here's what you find taking place. I'm just going to go through this quickly. You listen while I talk. Esther 8, 1 and 2, Esther and Mordecai's relationship is made known, and all of Haman's house and office is given to Mordecai. Esther 8, 3 through, verse, uh, 3 through 6, Esther is now in tears, begging for the life of her people. In Esther chapter 8, verses 7 through 13, the king, he gives Esther and Mordecai permission to write letters of defense for the Jews. The letters simply say that they're, they're going to go out on the 23rd of June. The letters would go out to all 127 provinces. And the letters say that on March 13th, when you are tried to be killed, when people try to kill you, you have the right to defend yourself, to kill, and then to take their property. That's what, that's what the, that I'm giving you the, the brief synopsis of it. That's verse 7 through 13. The letter, it stated the Jews could gather and defend themselves. If anyone attacked them, they could defend and attack and uh, give a counterattack. Esther 8, 14 through 17, that decree goes out. The Jews, they're joyful. Esther 9, 1 through 11, the time comes that the enemy could have power over the Jews 
but it was turned to the contrary and the Jews now had power over their enemies. When that time came, the Jews stood together and most of the people of the kingdom, most of the Gentiles of the kingdom stood with the people. And verse number five tells us that the Jews smote their enemies with the stroke of the sword and the slaughter and destruction. And in Shushan, 500 were killed, including the 10 sons of Haman. Esther chapter nine in verse number 12, the king finds out about the victories, lets Esther know, and then asks Esther, do you want anything else to take place? Esther 9, 13, Esther says, could we do the same thing tomorrow? And could you take the 10 dead sons of Haman and hang them on the gallows? The king says, yes, Esther 9, 14. Esther 9, 15, 300 more people are killed, but the Jews didn't take their stuff. Esther 9.16 recaps all 127 provinces and the fact that 75,000 enemies of the Jews were killed on those two days. But I want you to notice what takes place in Esther 9.17 through 19. We see sorrow turning to rejoicing. On the 13th day of the month Adar and on the 14th day of the same rested they and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were a Shushan assembled, them, assembled together on the 13th day thereof and on the 14th day thereof and on the 15th day of the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. In these verses, we find the people, the Jews, now rejoicing. I want you to travel back with me, though, to 11 months before and look at what's taking place in the Jews' life. Esther 4, verse number 3. 11 months earlier, in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the kings and fasting, and, or among the Jews, and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and in ashes. Boy, what a turn of events, wasn't it? 11 months earlier, they're in sorrow, in sackcloth and ashes. 11 months later, they're rejoicing because of the victories that God had made. And though I want to spend time on this this morning, I want to suffice by simply saying this, that no matter the circumstance, listen, no matter the circumstance in your life, God can always turn sorrow into rejoicing. No matter the circumstance, he can always take the sorrow of, the, of, of a cancer or the loss of a loved one or take the sorrow of a financial struggle or a job struggle or maybe a relationship struggle. He can take sorrow and he can turn it into rejoicing. Listen, in our story, this is a plot twist. This is a game changer. God taking the Jews' sorrow and making it rejoicing. And I want you to know this morning that God can always turn grief into rejoicing. Sometimes it's a rejoicing because of the change in circumstances, but at other times it's a rejoicing in spite of circumstances. You say, pastor, what does that mean? Sometimes your story changes like Esther's and God does that to change it from sorrow to rejoicing. Listen, but at other times you have to stay in the valley, but God can still in the valley bring rejoicing. Listen, flowers won't grow unless it rains. Listen, the, the stream can't sing unless rocks are in it. And I just want you to understand in life, and, and may, may we catch this this morning because this is a very uh, main focal point of the, of the entire book of Esther, is that God is very interested to give you joy in spite of your circumstances. 
God is very interested to take your sorrow and to build upon it and change it into rejoicing. He may do that because he saves you or pulls you out of the fire. But my friend, God may allow you to go through the fire and prove himself and show you that even through the fire, God can bring about rejoicing. And here's the thought. No matter the situation in your life, you and I can always rejoice in the working of God. You can always rejoice in the working of God. And as a child of God, we can always find reasons to rejoice in the perfect plan or the perfect power or the perfect working of God. You see, God desires for you and I, he desires for you and I to find joy when he works. And so many Christians, they get, listen, so many Christians, they get in a valley and they get in a circumstance and they go through a fire and they lose their joy. And then God allows them to go through it again and maybe again and maybe again so that he can bring about joy. And listen, go to the book of Philippians. Paul is writing it from a prison cell. And he says, I'm writing that your joy can be full. I am writing that you can rejoice. God, he takes sorrow and he makes rejoicing. Well, hi, how can I find joy in sorrow? Because even when you don't see God, you can always see God. Well, what's that mean? Because even when you think God's not working, my friend, God is always working. He's always working. He doesn't take a day off in our country. He doesn't take a day off in our world. He doesn't take a day off in your personal life. You may take a day off from him, but he doesn't take a day off from you. You may take an hour off from him, but he doesn't take a second off of you. Man, the song says his eye is on the sparrow, so I know he watches me. Matthew 6, hey, you seek God, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Hey, what are you, why are you trying to take, take, no, take no thought for the morrow? For the morrow shall take thing, uh, thought of itself. And the, the, uh, man, my brain's going too many miles per hour right now. Listen, God is just simply, Matthew 6, helping you and I understand that his thoughts are upon us, and you and I can find that as a great reason to rejoice. Think about what the psalmist said in Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice ye righteous and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. You go and you continue reading. They actually send out a decree, Esther 9, 20 through 22. Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews that were all in the provinces of the king Ahasuerus. I won't take time to read it, but they send out a decree and they create a feast. It's a, it's a celebration, the feast of Purim or Purim or Purim whichever way you want to say it. And that feast is still going on today. Well, what's it a feast of? It's a feast celebrating the fact that God takes sorrow and turns it into joy. Oh, don't miss it. Did you know that God, 2,000 years ago, sent his son to die on a cross and those disciples for three days were looking at a cross and looking at a grave and in sorrow, Troy, they were looking and wondering and thinking, what in the world? We thought he was going to establish his kingdom. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was in control. And you know, on that third day, what he did? He turned sorrow into rejoicing. 
and we still celebrate it, Resurrection Sunday, every year. You say, it's not about the Easter bunny. It's not about uh, the little, the, the, the uh, fine egg, the egg hunt. It's not about all that. No, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Why do we celebrate it? Because he turned sorrow into rejoicing. My friend, the scripture is filled with uh, story after story after story and principle after principle and precept after precept and promise after promise that God can take any sorrow and change it to joy, even if you have to stay in it. Man, what a great God we serve. What a great God we serve. And you and I would be wise to remember the work of God in our life. Can I tell you that when God turns your sorrow into rejoicing, remember it. Remember it. Journal it. Take a picture. Post it on Facebook. Post it on your social media. Put it in, put it in, your, in your scrapbook. However you do it, just remember when God works in your life. Why? Because God is interested in you reflecting on his goodness and finding joy. And there's going to come a time in your life when you are in the valley and you need to look back and remember, God was good in that valley. He's just as good in this valley. Man, that's a game changer. That's a game changer, Miss Patty, isn't it? Man, Patty with her husband, Craig, passing away and going home to be with the Lord last uh, two weeks ago. That service is this Saturday. And I'll tell you, I was sitting across, can I share the story from the other day? I was sitting across the, the desk from Patty planning out Craig's service. And Craig and I already planned it out four weeks ago and, and sat across from each other. And as I sat there across the desk from Patty, Patty said, Pastor, people just look at me weird sometimes. And I said, well, why? She said, they, they, they look at me weird when I say that, that the death of my husband was beautiful. And she said, but Pastor, it was. She said, I, I just watched my husband walk into the arms of God. Pastor, that, that is beautiful to me. I can't describe the peace I have. Oh, I'm hurting, but I can't describe. I can't describe going through this with God. And those of you that have lost a loved one, you can say that, can't you? Miss Anita and I were talking about it this week, about Brother Sam, watching Brother Sam go through that cancer. Man, heartbreaking, watching all that take place in his life and, and Craig's life and Terry Laddian's life and Felix Avila's life and Mrs. Sutton's life. And we could just name Don Honeycutt's life. And yet, you know what I watched? I watched some Christians who their life was a game changer. Why? Because they said, I can walk through this. Praying for the Guidals right now, just losing her sister. But you know what I, you know what I watched the other day at a, at a service celebrating her sister's life? I watched a family be a game changer. Why? Because they said in spite of, oh, we're hurting. We're hurting. Don't get that wrong. People who lose a loved one, they're hurting. But you can still have joy and hurt. Can't you? You know what God does? He takes that sorrow and he makes it rejoicing. Boy, I could name the Lees, name the Kerrigans. We'd go person after person. Look at Jim Kimball losing his wife years ago. I listen, it's just seeing people, seeing people who in the midst of sorrow God turns it to rejoicing. I see a sorrow becomes a rejoicing. Let me give you the last one. I see a servant who becomes a bold royalty. A servant becomes a bold royalty. I want you to see this in Esther chapter number eight, verse number two, we read this. We read, the king took off his ring, this is Haman's ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Esther chapter 10, verse 2 and 3 declares this, and all the acts of his power, Ahasuerus and his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? 
10.3 says, because Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Can I tell you that when you go to Esther chapter 10, no one saw this coming. Not even Mordecai saw this coming. It was a plot twist. It was a game changer. A servant, a king's gatekeeper, now becomes the prime minister. Well, why? Go research Mordecai's life and you'll understand why. But it's declared for us in chapter 10 and verse number three. Mordecai, he just continued living a godly life. He sought the goodness of his people. He was great among the Jews and accepted the multitude of his brethren. Why? Because he sought the wealth of his people and he spoke peace to all his seed. I want you to notice a few things with me this morning as we wrap up. Had Mordecai never been willing to stand when others bowed, had he cowered in his faith, had Mordecai put man before God, had he not raised Esther to love God, had he lived a double life, had Mordecai not encouraged Esther in her God-given purpose, had any of these things not been in Mordecai's life, then we would be reading an entirely different story. But these things were who Mordecai was. When he got promoted, he stayed the same. A steadfast, godly leader who sought the wealth and goodness of his people, the people of God. What a lesson for us to know and remember, no matter where God takes us, live with godly character. But we need to remember this morning that when you and I live with godly character, there's no telling what God can do in your life. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Mordecai was a godly man with a heart for, man, or a heart for God and a heart to use his, raise his cousin to seek after God, and God literally used Mordecai and Esther to change their world. And let me tell you this morning, God may not desire to use you or me to change the world like he did with Esther and Mordecai, but I do believe that God wants to use you to change your world the sphere of influence that God has given you. The book of Esther, it's named after Esther. But the book of Esther is the story of Mordecai. What's the story of Mordecai? It's a story of a godly man with godly character who loved God's people and said, I'm gonna raise the next generation to do the same. I wanna ask you a question as we wrap up the entire series. How different would your life look? How different would it look if you lived a Mordecai life? How different would it be if you had the character of Mordecai? How different would it be if you had the peace of Mordecai to trust God? How different would it be is if you took the life of Mordecai and superimposed it upon your life? So God help me to be a Mordecai. How different would things be? I look this morning and I see the story of Esther is a story where God stands in the shadows keeping watch over his own. You can look and you don't see God in the book of Esther. But page after page, word after word, you see God. Can I tell you that there may be times in your life when you don't see God? But those are the times, the best times, Cody, to step back and to see God. That he is always in control. 
And what he is looking for is some Mordecai's. He is looking for some Esther's. He's looking for some that say, you know what? I trust God. He's looking for some to be the plot twist. Those who would be not silent, but instead had a bold response to step out by faith. He's looking for some to say, God, I'm in a sorrowful time, but would you turn it to rejoicing? He's looking for some who are just simply servants that he can say, I wanna make you royalty. I wanna use your life like never before. But this morning, I wanna close by asking this question. Maybe God can't work in your life because God's not in your life. I wanna ask you today, do you know for sure if you died that you're going to heaven? Do you know that you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, today could be the day where you put your faith and trust completely in him. Friend, if you do know Christ as your savior, let me ask you a question. What could change in your life if you'd be a Mordecai man, if you'd be a Mordecai lady? What would change in your life if you'd said, no more, no more am I gonna be in the shadows doubting God. No more, I'm gonna, instead I'm gonna be trusting him. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.